Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today we have got Hassan Sadik from Home Shares, and a little bit of a different guest today because Hassan is in the management sector rather than actually investing full-time himself. And Hassan has over 300 rooms to manage. And obviously that's gonna be you know, a very different way of looking at property investing. So Hassan, good morning. Good morning, Rick, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. So Hassan, tell us a bit about yourself. Let's get straight into this. So what's your background and how did you end up as a, I mean, would you call yourself a property manager or a property agent? Yeah, I mean, I guess probably a property agent because we are involved in sourcing and we provide an acquisition service for our landlords. Um, I guess uh, I got started out a bit different in that I got drawn into property rather than I decided to go straight into property. Um, my background was from a young age, I was always, my parents had a few buy-to-lets. Um, so growing up, I was always involved helping them out, um, you know, tenant move-ins, tenant move-outs. Uh, when I was 18, I was formally managing them. Um, because they were abroad, so I was, you know, dealing with everything uh, to do with those. Uh, I went to uni, uh, did a law degree. I uh, did want to be a barrister, but I'd always said I'd either be a barrister or start a business. I didn't really want to be a solicitor or paralegal or any of those. So when I when I completed my law degree, I was applying for uh, scholarships for barrister to be to do the BPTC as it was then. Um, and I wasn't really getting very far. So I had a choice really to go all in, spend 30 grand on the one year course and risk it all to be a barrister or start a business. And I decided to start a business and uh, letting agency was one of the ideas because I was so, I enjoyed so much managing my parents' property. So I just thought, just go, go in for letting agency. So that was uh, coming up to four years ago now. So four years from a standing start. Now, did you buy a business or was this something that you started from scratch? It, it was a complete cold start, Rick, and it, it was really, really difficult uh, to, to begin with because I had no contacts in the industry. I had no background. I had no knowledge, really. And I just had to learn as I, as I went, really. So you're managing 300 rooms at the moment. Now, that's a big portfolio to manage. I mean, I know. I don't have 300 rooms myself. Um, you know, we've got less than that. Um, but I know how hard it is to manage that many tenants. So from a standing start, then, you chose, you wanted to go into property. Take us through that journey, Hassan. How did you, you know, how did you get the knowledge that you needed, yeah. qualifications, you know, and everything else that you need to go with it? Well, initially, when I first started up, I bought a pack, and there's some of these packs that you can buy online. There's a couple of providers, and it was it was about 700 quid, and for that, they they give you uh, what they tell you everything that you need to know to start a letting agency. Hassan, when you say they, who who are they? So for the people that you know want to start an agency, so where do these packs come from? Uh, well, I mean, if I'm allowed to name the company, there was yeah, letting, yeah, yeah. yeah, letting vision was the company. Um, okay. There's another company, I think, called Southcourt or something like that. I researched them both, and I decided to go to Letting Vision, mainly because I like their website better. Um, so they basically, for £700, they set up my website, um, and I got a pack, and they like, they like, they're basically like mentors, and they sort of like mentors. So is this like a franchise? It's almost like a franchise, uh, but you... you it's just a it's a startup pack really mm -hmm. uh, and they just sort of give you they just tell you how to get started but i think how they make their money is that every year you renew the website right 
every year you renew and they, they've got lots of add-ons that they try and sell i mean um I, i'm still using their website now actually i'm going to do a new website um but the, the website is it's fine for what it is it does the job you know it's, it's and it's very cheap so to get started for me that was excellent um, All right so it's 750 pound you bought this pack yeah and, and you get a website what else is in this pack Basically, all the contracts, all the ASTs, uh, company lease agreements, um, basically all the terms of business for landlords, um, like check-in, check-in document, check-out documents. I mean, they're all very basic and we've moved on since then now. But to get started, it was ideal for me. And also they, um, they had what they called a rapid marketing plan. They said everything you need to get landlords on board which that was the only bit I was a bit disappointed in because all it was basically was telling you how to cold call, which was brilliant, <laughs> but you need a lot more to, to get landlords on than just cold calling. Cold calling great, but there's a lot more to think about. So how did you do that? How did you bring your landlords on? So you've started from scratch. I'm presuming you were working at home. Did you have yeah. an office? Yeah, no, working just, at home. I was in my mum's house, yeah. uh, just running it out of my bedroom. Um, and yeah, it I was just, that was all I was doing to begin with, was just call calling, call calling landlords off Gumtree and Sparrow. That's literally right. what I was doing. Right. So you were literally trying to poach customers from, from other people? Uh, not really. They're all self-managing landlords. So I was just calling them up. I was trying to see if they wanted, if we could help them out. And uh, to be honest with you, it was really, I, I wasn't getting anywhere. So about two months in, I, I had a bit of a breakdown because I wasn't getting any landlords and uh, that's when I started researching online. And I found a, a guy called Christopher Watkin. I don't know if you've heard of him. And uh, he, he basically, uh, I, I, I called him up and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help. He does blogging for estate agents. Hmm. Um, but he said, no, sorry, I can't help you out because I've just taken on a client in your area. But he said, look, read my blog. He was a very helpful guy. He said, read my blog. It's three years worth of blog and um, do everything I tell you. And that's what I did. I spent two weeks in Christmas and that's all I did was literally all day, every day, I read his blog, I made notes and I made a plan. And I did everything he said. And I, so I started blogging, I started networking and I started building a database. And that was key. Um, Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, um, you're talking from the letting side of things and we talk yeah. from the investing side of things. Yeah. And it's exactly what we say. Network, blog, raise your profile, start posting on Facebook, all yeah. of that. So it works both ways, doesn't it? Exactly, Rick. That's exactly what you said was what he said. It's just, I don't know, it's exactly the same way, really, just different clients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And networking and, you know, raising your profile is a fundamental part of any business, not just in property, yeah, exactly. because people buy from people. And, yeah. you know, um, if you've got an online presence, people can see you as being the industry leader in yeah. that particular sector. They're going to naturally warm towards you, aren't they? Yeah, exactly that. So I started the so so I started like a local blog, MedwayPropertyNews.com, and I just like started posting about what's happening in the local property market, stuff that landlords are interested about. Yeah. What's yeah. their house worth? Where's the next buy to let deal? What's happening to rental yield? Don't not not boring stuff, you know about. Just, uh, section 21s yeah, it's stuff that people want to know isn't it yeah, but, you know, if yeah. you're a landlord and you want to rent your property out and you're going to go into your blog and i'm going to see that you're actually quite tuned in into the market that's happening yeah. right now yeah. um so where were you posting this blog uh, so well this is that's a good question i'm not sure if it's allowed anymore of gdpr but what i was doing at the time was everyone i met anywhere 
I was just adding them to my list. Okay. <laughs> and I was just, so I, I, at one point I had like 3,000 people on the list. When I said, let me, let, let's just have a chat about that very quickly, Hassan, because yes. I think now, guys I, and, and girls that are listening to this, you know, we've got people that from the UK, and I've got my own perception about this because I'm not a GDPR expert, but I think, and you tell me what you think, Hassan. Yeah. So if you're at a networking meeting, mm. I give you my card. Yeah, yeah. Unless I want you to contact me, there's absolutely no point in me giving you that card in the first exactly. place. Is that right? Yeah, I agree with that. So I kind of thinking I'm giving you my consent just by giving you my business card. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think you're right, Rick. But I mean, you know, when all that hullabaloo was going about GDPR, I panicked a little bit. and, I, and <laughs> Everybody I said, did. Everybody yeah. did, didn't they? Yeah. And I, I, I said, that week, I think my email inbox was virtually brought to a standstill because right. nobody was, everyone was really scared just to send an email out. And I think yeah. I had maybe, I probably get about 200 emails a day. And I think I went down to about five during that first week when it was introduced. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I got caught up in the panic and I, I sent that email out and my list went down to about 300. <laughs> okay. Which is not the end of the world because those 300 are really active readers. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you're right, Rick. Uh, you know, uh, if people give you a card, they're interested. But that, that's yeah. basically what I did everywhere I went. I had the people to listen. Just word of mouth. People start reading your blogs. They think, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. They start telling other people about you. And, and it, it takes time. It, it, mm. it takes six months minimum. Um, but doing that really started to raise my profile. And, uh, and, it, and, then, and then it's about providing good service. So let's go through then the first, the light bulb, the light bulb moment, now, perhaps not the light bulb moment because that was the blog that you read. Yeah. The first time you got a deal over the line, you got it signed. How did that feel? How did it look? If, yeah. I mean, mixed emotions, really. Um, it, it took me six months to bring on one managed property. I do tell people a lot uh, that, you know, it was that hard. And was that a single letter or a HMO? It was a HMO actually. Okay. Uh, so when I started, I didn't plan to get in. I was actually called a different name and I've rebranded to HomeShare about 18 months ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, just going on to the first landlord question, um, that was uh, literally from cold calling. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it wasn't a great property. It was, it was a low quality property. Uh, the landlord was not a great landlord. Um, but I just took it on because I was desperate just to get my first one on. Mm. Uh, and it was on a very low fee. Um, it had some, you know, it had a tenant. It had it had some bad tenants in there, um, and it, yeah, it was it wasn't a great property. But I just needed to get going, so I just needed to get money. some cash. What kind of fees were you charging then at the beginning? At, at that point, it was only eight percent. Wow, that's brilliant! Eight percent. You can't get anywhere near that. What do you charge now? Normally, it's twelve percent. That's um, still good. That's still good for HMO. Yeah. Yeah, for, for full HMO managed because, you know, but at that time, you know, the guy was really knocking me down and, you know, just it, it's the same in property, I guess, you know, getting your first one is the most difficult. And yeah. once I got the first one down, then then it gave me the confidence and then I could, you know, give a bit of uh, experience to new landlords and show that I am managing stuff. And I didn't even mm. tell that landlord that I didn't have any properties to manage. Did he know? ask you? He didn't ask me, no, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have volunteered it, uh, you know, because... Who would want to give their property to someone who has no properties to manage, you know? Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But sometimes people buy from people and it's not always important, you know. People say to me, how many houses have you got? And I say, well, you know, would it impress you if I said 5,000? You know, would you feel any less of me if I said five? You know, um, I think people sort of look at numbers in perhaps the wrong way. 
So in terms of your criteria, now I know that going back several years, you needed to get some deals. Mm -hmm. You needed to start cash flowing your business. Do you you have set criteria now? So I know that a lot of agents will say, look, well, you know, it's got to be licensed. It's got to, they've got to have the credit mortgage product. They've got to do this, this, and this. You know, have you got that implemented now? Yeah, yeah, we we obviously, we require that. But we we don't exclude landlords that don't have that. We just say to them, look, it's not right now. However, we can get it right for you. Right. Okay. So, so you can't, you won't just turn them away. You'll say, look, you know, there's several things you need to do in order to get compliant and we can help you do that. Then manage it for you. Yeah, exactly. I've had landlords that come to me and they've been unlicensed and, you know, they've been honest with me. And I said, look, as long as we're honest with the council, they're right about it. And I, and I've negotiated with the council. I said, this is the situation we've got. It is unlicensed. The landlord wants to, you know, give it to a proper agent to manage. Let's get it licensed. And then, and the, and the council are fine with it. Mm, okay. Okay. So I want to go back to the fees bit now. So to begin with you, you know, this guy was, it was trying to push you down on fees. Now I've got my own view on this. Because I think that I'm not an agent. I only manage my own properties. But for mm. yourself, Hassan, you're an agent. Now, I'm guessing here, and tell me if I'm wrong, that mm. if, you've got, um, if you've got two properties and mm. one manager is paying you 8% and one's paying you 10%, which one are you mm. going to fill first? Uh, well, you're right. You know, it, well, it depends on the quality and the location. If, the, if everything was the same, apart from the fee. Yep. So it's all the same, same property, same standard, both licensed, both compliant. I mean, I'd be lying probably to say that I'll give the 8% first, although it's probably not right. Uh, But it's it's business, right, isn't it? It's business. You've got to feed yourself and your family. And if, if, you know, this is where I come from. And people, you know what? And you know this, Hassan, that sometimes property investors give agents a really bad rap i think and you know they give agents a bad time of it because um for lots of different reasons now you know i'm sitting in the middle of this and i think the agents do a bloody good job a really good job but you've got a business to run like anybody else so you know when when somebody's coming along and offering and trying to push you down and push you down that's not the right way to do it folks if you want a good manager that gets hmos that you want to run your portfolio for you don't drive them down in, in price because you're not going to get filled first you're going to end up having voids exactly that rick and there's there's so much legislation coming in we're we're being hit almost monthly with new legislation new codes of conduct mm-hmm. that we have to deal with yeah. you know, new how to rent booklets that we have to keep up with making sure the tenants have been checked in properly that they've had all the prescribed information that we're keeping up to date with the fitness for human habitation act so they can't we can't be sued you know there's so much to keep up with it's impossible to do all of that for a low fee it is absolutely you know you can't work for nothing let's let's just park the fees bit just for one second if that's okay yeah. I, want, I do want to come back onto that because it's obviously you know something that's going to affect everybody in about a week's time so back to your journey and so you've got your first deal over the line it's managed to yeah. negotiate you down to eight percent yeah yeah um how long did it take you to fill oh you, you said there were tenants in there already so yeah talk to you a little there bit were tenants that. in there i mean it's a good story actually i did actually give that property back to the landlord in about six months um because um he was refusing to do repairs and the, I've got a clause in my terms of business that's to say if, if the landlord's in breach of any regulation or good standards of property management, that I can hand it back to him with seven days notice. And that basically the, the, the tenants were shouting at me and blaming me, mm-hmm. but the, the landlord wouldn't authorise pretty necessary repairs. Mm-hmm. And I got fed up with it because it was ruining my reputation. And, you know, 
I'd had other properties by that point, so I wasn't so desperate anymore, and I just gave it back to the landlord. And this is it, isn't it? You know, when I spoke to you earlier about, you know, landlords perhaps giving agents a bad name, and they do, but it's, and then it reflects on you. The tenants actually think it's you because you're managing the property, but your hands are tied because, you know, you're chained to the landlord, and if they're not making the repairs, you're certainly not going to pay for them yourself. Yeah, I know. That, that was exactly it. And, uh, you know, it was getting to the point where I was being shouted at, I was being abused, and I kind of had to say that, I'm sorry, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. And, and to show, even to show them, I said, look, I'm giving the property back to the landlord. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, the reputational damage is, well, that's one thing I've realised, Rick, you've got to protect your reputation. And, you know, if you're working... Uh, it's, yeah, it's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. But again, you know, your hands are tied. And especially if you've got websites that people leave reviews on, or you're using Trustpilot or something like that. And, yeah. you know, tenants see you as the person that is calling the shots, making all of those decisions, when in fact, you're not, and your yeah. hands are tied. Okay, so you gave the property back, then how long was it before you got your next deal? Uh, thinking back, this is this is hard to think back this long now because this this is like 2016. So at the time, I was doing lots of let onlys, and I, and I was taking properties here or there. Uh, it's difficult to put a number on it. I'd have to look back, but I, I I think sort of within a year, I think I was managing probably about ten. Okay, ten HMOs, yeah. Uh, yeah, about about ten. There was a couple of single lets in there. Right. Okay. We do manage single lets as well, Rick, but it's, yep. probably a small, it's probably about 20%. Right, okay. Because the money's not as good, is it? Because the gross turnover is not going to be as high. So um, 10 properties in about a year. So how, what did your income look like then, if you don't mind me asking, Hassan? Was yeah. it enough then for you to live off? Were you no, okay? No, not really, no. It, 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 took, it took about two years for it to actually, you know, even, even after two years, it wasn't that profitable, to be honest mm. with you. It's probably I was I was getting about minimum wage, um, but it takes time. It takes time to build this up, especially I had no background in the industry, so you know it it wasn't profitable at that point. I, I think actually I'm thinking back on it. I think I had a couple of good months um, after a year because it was September time. So I think I did make a couple of months of good profit, um, but that kind of negated the following right. <laughs> the rest of the year. Um, so yeah okay and which areas are you actually covering um so we're, we're in kent uh, most of kent i'm actually franchising home share at the minute i've got our first franchisee running in southeast london awesome so the plan is to sort of uh, go in more areas sort of london and essex and maybe other parts of the country in the future under a franchise model right right okay so you've got 300 rooms now so you've gone from a standing start yeah 300 rooms yeah. at what point did you start thinking i need some staff here i can't cope with all of this on my own it, it, it was literally the one year, so about one year in that's when i took the office i took uh, I, I i got an actual office and i took on my first employee awesome. um, so yeah thinking back on it it might have been a bit more than 10 properties but it, yeah it at that point then it was it it was getting too much for one person to do because you've got one person doing all the viewings doing all the referencing all the compliance the contracts the the move-ins the answering the telephone that mm. was a massive one because mm. when you're on all these websites you get te- applicants calling up and it was impossible for one person to do it all i mean you you you're living proof of you know i know what it's like when you start on a business it's bloody hard work and you're getting really demoralized you're sat there your energy levels start to deplete you start yeah. to think well you know i might as well just go and get a job but you 
you persevered with it and, and you've got to this great business that you've got now. I'm not going to ask you what your turnover is now, but you've got 300 rooms. Now, yes. majority of those are HMOs. So let's talk about managing HMOs because, yeah. um, you know, sometimes people want someone to manage them so they can get a hands-off mm -hmm. uh, project. Sometimes people like to manage them themselves, etc. So what do you think, Hassan, makes a good HMO agent because not everybody gets this if I go into my high street agent yeah. and I say look do you manage HMOs they'll say yes but they don't really know no. about no. HMOs you just yeah. mentioned earlier about you were talking about the deregulation act which is prescribed yeah. information yeah. the licensing laws have now changed in October and of course now the tenant fee bans coming so not everybody gets that so not only have you had to learn how to be an agent yeah you've had to learn all of that legislation as well Exactly. Yeah. So I think the first part is education, you know, is, is getting onto the ILA courses, uh, doing a credit, you know, there's a lot of accreditation, NLA do accreditation courses, uh, UK, is it UKAL, they do accreditation schools. So I've done all of them, all my staff have done all of them. I believe strongly into keeping up to date with the legislation, going on refresher courses, stuff like that. So first step is having all that knowledge and being prepared to keep up to date because it's always changing. And then I think secondly is the setup that you have. Um, so you've, you've got to have the right software in the office. You've got to have all the right systems and processes. So I began, I began my operations manual after reading the e-myth actually. Hmm. And that was uh, about six, about a year into the business, the same time as I took my employee because that's when I needed it. So it's, it's over a hundred pages now and it's everything that all my staff need to know on how to do certain processes how to conduct the referencing, how to pick up the telephone, how to make emails. So it's it, systems and processes, I think, secondly, and that, and that needs to be backed up by software. That's going to keep you up to date with all when the electrical certificates need updating, when the emergency lightings and fire alarms need servicing, um, when the cleaners should be testing the smoke alarms and testing the emergency lighting and all of that. You need that in place because if you don't have that in place, it's impossible to keep mm. up to date with, you know, maybe if you had a couple of properties, you could do it without, but I think when you get to this sort of scale, you need that software. And then it, I think it's all about training, training, staff development and um, auditing, I think is the final part. So going back and checking if the systems and processes are actually being followed. So how many staff do you have now? At the moment I've got four full-time staff. And yourself. Yeah. And myself. Um, okay. So yeah, we, we, we've got quite a good setup there now. Um, so let's, let's talk about maintenance. Um, yeah. Maintenance is a massive issue in HMOs, you know, for a lot of investors. We've got our own systems, you know, everybody does things differently. What do you do for that? Uh, so we, we recommend inspections every three to four months. Um, I, I was, yeah, if there's, well, there's two sides of it. So there's inspections when we're picking up stuff that the tenants haven't told us. And so obviously we're going there, we're doing inspections. We use a special software for inspections. And then we make sure that's dealt with. And then there's also, we use Fixflow. I don't know if you've heard of Fixflow, but that's, uh -huh, yeah. yeah, it's very good software. I'd really recommend it. And we give that to all of our tenants as part of the check-in process. So if there's any problems in the properties, they report it through Fixflow. And it just gives us a single place that we can go to, instruct contractors from, check up that the contractors have actually done it. Mm and uh, check with the tenants that things have been done. So we, we have to keep the tenants happy um, because in this market, if, if tenants aren't happy with the maintenance, they will just move on. Yeah. And we 
keep the temps for as long as possible. So it is uh, really important. And of course, you know, they can then as well go to the ombudsman, they can go to the PRS, yeah. make a complaint against you for not managing the property correctly, um, which again causes more and more issues, doesn't it? So how yeah. many, um, how often do you do inspections, Hassan, in your rooms? Uh, so we, for rooms, it's three to four months. Okay. Every three to four months. And that, yeah, that's a full report. So we go in there, we go into all the rooms, we produce a report and we action all of it. Um, all, all the items that we spot but besides from that Rick also our cleaner that's their part of their job is to let us know in the communal areas when they're cleaning are there any issues are there not not only maintenance issues but tenant issues mm. uh, are, you know are, is there smell of smoke coming from a certain room or are they leaving the common areas messy which is affecting our viewings and, and how do you deal with all of that so if somebody reports somebody smoking drugs in one of the rooms or they're yeah. not washing up or they're not changing the bins what's your process well we, we've got we've got processes for each of those scenarios um so i mean it generally involves a warning I mean, it, with Section 21, it's a very useful tool. But obviously, if that goes, we're, we're going to have to really look at our processes. Um, but right now, we normally give the tenant a warning. Um, and, you know, that they, it's just not acceptable. It's breaching HMO licensing rules. And if they do it again, then we serve a Section 21. Okay. And what's your tenant demographic, or is it very mixed? It, it is quite varied, Rick, to be honest with you. Um, we've got some areas that are only suited to blue-collar workers, and that's all we have. Uh, there were some areas that used to be just full of uh, mainly Eastern European tenants, but that has changed since Brexit. That's definitely changed. Uh, and then we've got other areas that are just white-collar workers. We do have a couple of houses that are students. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have that many students, but we do do students as well. And you do uh, housing benefit? At the moment, no, but we are looking into it. Um, we've, we've never really specialised in it, but I, I have been talks with, uh, in, with someone who does supported living, mm. and we are looking potentially to, to start doing that. And I, I think that is a sector that is quite, quite interesting. Um, but if, if we do go into that, I think that, that's, a whole, that's a whole different sort of process, really. It's a whole different system. And yeah. It, it is, isn't it? Different systems, different management style. So, you know, you hear a lot about um, investors and landlords talking about agents a lot. And as I said earlier, I think sometimes, you know, um, agents do get a bit of a bad rap. Let's yeah. flip this now. So what do agents think about investors? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the problem with uh, agents, I think they sometimes, they can be quick to judge investors. Um, when, you know, and it, it, it can be easy to do. I mean, what, what happens when you're in my sort of position, what you do, you get a lot of people calling up and asking for advice, which I've got no problem with. Um, but sometimes people, they really want a lot of time and they, you know, they keep asking for a lot of advice and you're not sure if they're going to come through and use you for management or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's what sometimes agents might be worried about is that, uh, they think investors are stealing their knowledge. I don't view it that way. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to help people and share knowledge. And, I, you know, I don't mind, you know, if they, if they go and manage themselves, it's not the end of the world. But do you think, you know, because you're, you're very clued up with HMOs, but not every agent is. And I'm going to sort of challenge that a little bit to say, people might want your knowledge. That's good because you know what you're talking about. But I would say that... Um, agents that actually do really know about HMO management, about um, the HMO management regulations, the deregulation act, the licensing act, the housing act are very few. Yeah, it's true. 
I, I um, 100% agree. And that, that's why I did this, Rick. That's what, like I said, I didn't start the letting agency with the intention to do HMOs, but I noticed a gap in the market and there was no one else really good HMO agents. And, I, you know, I, I actually decided to, to niche into HMOs because there's no one else doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know what really annoys me, Hassan, when I look on the internet and I see on Rightmove or Zoopla that a local agent has advertised a property and it says would make a perfect HMO, but it's in the density area in Article 4. And I think, you know, it's just so misleading sometimes. And that just goes to show that those particular agents don't really know about HMOs and all the legislation and planning permission that comes along with them. Yeah, if you talk to them, they won't know the difference between planning and licensing. And that's, <laughs> that's the most basic thing if you're going to talk about HMOs. And, you know, they're, they're, they're just getting mixed up. So will you check that? So I'm a landlord. I phone your office. I talk to you. I tell you I've got a HMO. And are you then going to say, right, okay, does it have the correct planning permission? Does it have yeah. a license? Is yeah. that your tick the box sort of questionnaire? Yeah. It's very important for us to do because... So I say to you, yeah, it doesn't need planning because it's got a license. Are you going to challenge that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I would say, are you sure it's not in an Article 4 area? Um, has it got additional licensing, selective licensing? You know, it, in our, we're quite lucky in, in my main area. We don't have very much of that. Um, mm. There's some in, our, in Ashford, um, but in Benjamin's area in South East London, there is quite a lot of Article 4 and mm. licensing. So... Um, and what about the, the regulations that changed Hassan in October? So has that seen you have to surrender some rooms because of the sizes? Um, in our ones that we manage, uh, there, there hasn't been any, no. But I do know of, of landlords. Um, I, I, run a, I run a monthly HMO focus group. And there are some landlords that come to there that have been affected, definitely. Mm. Um, I, I did a I did a blog actually not too long ago about the number of um, the number of applications that come in and in Medway there was only forty and I just believe that's totally incorrect. Yeah, absolutely. There's still going to be loads of people out there that are going to be under the radar without a shadow of a doubt because their rooms will be too small. And for those that are tuning in on this, and for those from you know from our our neighbours across the pond in the UK, um, certainly in England, we have a licensing act, a mandatory licensing act for HMOs and it was changed in October 2015 and now we can't let a room out if it's smaller than 6.51 square meters for single occupation and 10.22 meters for double occupation and that changed in October so HMOs that need new licenses from that point or they need to um, renew a license if they've got rooms that are smaller than that then they can't let them out and that's seen a big change and a big shift in the industry and there was also something that took away the floors as well so before you only needed a mandatory license if your property was a HMO over um, over two or more floors so now it's just if it's a HMO with five or more people you need a HMO license so that's all changed now and I think you know certainly for a lot of portfolios a lot of landlords are seeing a little bit of a squeeze on that definitely so in terms of other legislation so we've seen loads Hassan haven't we over the last few years yeah, um, yeah. the right to rent act has just been challenged yeah. you know will that stay won't it I don't know um, but of course we've got the biggie and you're an agent so you know we've got the tenant fee ban that's yeah. coming in on the 1st of June what do you make of it is it going to affect you and how much is it going to cost? I mean, I, I've kind of got mixed feelings about it, Rick. I mean, um, there's, there's, people, there's people that, as agents, have definitely been abusing it and they've been charging rip-off fees to tenants. And, uh, you know, I've, 
I, I, I really feel that they have kind of um, really put, made, started this problem. You know, the Foxtons of this world who are charging like 800 quid to tenants and 400. So 800 quid, what, for a fee? Is that what they're charging? Yeah, just an example. I don't know if that's completely correct, but they're just charging rip-off fees to tenants. And, you know, for those sort of agents, you know, I, I, I can see why this legislation is being brought in. I and mean, we've always charged a reasonable fee of £80 per tenant. Mm. It's not been a massive fee. Um, but then there's, there's other agents that charge very cheap fees to landlords, but they prop it up by charging lows to the tenants. So... Although it's going to cost us a little bit, about 10% of our turnover. Mm. Um, so it's not a huge amount, but it's still a significant amount. How are you going to make that back, Hassan? I've already, so I've already had process. I've, I've been planning this for about a year now. So we've, 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 we've created some alternative income streams. Um, so we've got a few providers that are, you know, sort of paying us commissions for certain things. So Are you going to be charging the tenant back? Is it going to ultimately, is it going to cost the tenant more money? I think so in the long run. Yeah. I mean, it's going to, isn't it? You know, everything that the government do is going to push it back onto the tenant. Now, we don't make money on fees. Uh, we do our own in-house referencing. It's not going to affect me in any way, shape or form, because very often we'd use it as a bargaining tool anyway. And yeah. we'd just say, you know what, I'm going to take the room. We'll just knock the fees down to zero. Yeah. Um, do you do your own in-house referencing or do you outsource it? Uh, we we outsource it to Homelet, but we still keep copies of all the evidence. So, so how much do you do you have to pay for that referencing service? I, I think it's it's around thirty pounds for the. All right. So thirty pound for referencing that now you're going to have to swallow. We're going to have to swallow that, and it, it's it's not only that; it's it's our staff time in getting. It's not I mean, it's not just the referencing; it's the whole checking thing. You know that has been kind of being helped out for that that fee. So. You know, it's all the staff time. It's all the requesting the documents, the right to rent checks as well. Mm. Uh, make sure we've got a record of that. So everything the government seems to do, they think they're doing it for the right reasons. But, you know, we're in business. I'm slightly different than you because I'm not an agent, but we are in business to make money. Yes, we want to help people. We want to provide that great quality housing, but yeah. we've got to make money because if yeah. we don't make money, we don't have a business. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So... You know, we, we, we're not increasing fees to landlords. Um, we're going to see how it goes. But, mm. uh, I mean, like, we, we haven't charged any fees since the start of this month anyway. And we, most of the properties from last month, we've been kind of staggering it down. So, you know, when it comes to June, it's not a massive shock to the business. Right. And again, for everyone listening to this, we're talking a lot about legislation today. So for people that are outside the UK, and we do have quite a lot of listeners um, from, from outside of the UK, we have a ban on tenant fees coming on the 1st of June, 2019, which means that agencies and property managers can no longer charge a tenant any fee whatsoever for referencing or checking in or for signing contracts or for administration, etc. But what we can do, Hassan, is we can charge something called a holding deposit. Now, I was worried when this came in because I find, I don't know about you, that if a tenant doesn't commit financially, very often they'll say, yes, I want the room, yeah. and then that's it. You don't hear back from them. But if they do commit financially, and when we were taking referencing fees, that would be the holding fee as well at the same time. So that means that it had some skin in the game. And if they chose not to take the room, we would keep that fee because, of course, we've taken the room off the market. Yeah. But now what we can do is have a holding deposit, which is or can't be any more than... Um, one week's rent or the equivalent of one week's rent and we have to give it back to the tenant when they move in or charge it against their first month's rent or against their first month deposit but 
fortunately for us, it means that if the tenant doesn't actually take on the tenancy within the agreed period, we can keep that money. So we still got some skin in the game. Mm. Yeah, that is a silver lining, Rick. I think that is, you know, one thing that that is a good thing. Um, it's not very much, but, you know, like you said, you've got to get the tenants to commit. Yeah, you do, because very often they will just go and, you know, and they might just get a better offer. And of course, if they've got no um, skin in the game, they've got no money that they're potentially going to lose, then they've got no incentive to stay with you. Let's talk about the other one now that's coming in, you know, the Section 21 ban. Yeah. Oh, what do you think of that? Well, I mean... For us in HMOs, the, the, my, you know, generally, it's, I'm not too worried about it. But what I'm worried about is those situations where you have antisocial behaviour inside of a HMO or someone smoking in their room. And then right now, we would serve a Section 21 because it's, it's, it's a whole load of evidence and paperwork to prove. But we can't serve a Section 21. We've got to tighten up our contracts, have every single thing that could go wrong in a HMO in there. And but how do you prove it, Hassan? How do you prove ASB? You know, I mean, you've got, you've got room four and room five. Room four's constantly on the phone saying room five's playing their music after 12 o'clock. They've got guests coming around. How do you, you know, do you go straight in and serve a section 21 without conducting uh, any, you know, any interviews and stuff? Oh, no. So right now, no, of course not. No, we, we, we would do some interviews and give some warnings first. Um, but, but you're right. If, if there's no section 21 and we have to prove it, that's an incredibly difficult task. Yeah. I mean, we have got clauses in Section 8 that we can potentially look at. But, you know, when you look at things like drugs and, and people smoking weed, so hard to prove. I know. Um, and, you know, because the smell will go, they'll, you give them 24 hours notice to go and do a room inspection. What are they going to do? They're going to get rid of the evidence. Yeah, it's yeah. really hard to prove. Um, you know, so things like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see how all of this is going to unravel. Yeah. They're going to need to tighten up the Section 8 process. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they need to make some amendments there and especially for people that are on the rent to rent model yeah. and when they give the house back does the owner really want the tenants you know are they going to want to take somebody else's tenants it's going to be another another game changer what do you think about all of this do you think that it's going to put a lot of people out of the market is it going to create opportunity for others yeah i think for those professional investors it's going to be an opportunity but it's it's going to be you know for people self-managing or for letting agents it's, it's another increased burden on them to manage all of this, especially in HMOs. So, we, like, you know, like I, I know it's going to be very difficult to prove, but we're going to have to try and do something. So I guess the only way that we could prove it is by taking witness statements, <coughs> um, you know, getting, like you said, it's difficult to get photos if, if they're going to get 24 hours notice. Mm. I, I guess we'll just have to have witness statements and we'll, we'll have to serve a Section 8. I mean, but yeah, that is definitely going to, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I can see it. I can see standing in front of the judge with a Section 8 and you've, you've done an antisocial behaviour, whatever ground that is. I can't recall it off the top of my head. And you're going to say, look, they're constantly complaining that um, all the neighbours were saying they were smoking drugs in the premises. And the judge is going to say, okay, so what evidence have you got? And you're going to say, well, I've got a statement from room one, two, three, and four. Okay, but that doesn't prove that he's actually smoking drugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it is so hard. I don't know what we're going to do, Rick, to be honest. So I'm going to have yeah. to give that further thought. I, don't, I really don't know. Uh, it is really difficult. You know, when I started my investing, I'm an ex-police officer, as you know. Yeah. And 
Um, when I started, you know, smelling weed and stuff in certain rooms, I, I, I was beside myself. I was, oh my God, you know, this is just so wrong. I came a little bit more relaxed about it. And I'm not saying, I'm not condoning it by any means, but I am a little bit more relaxed about it now because it happens. Yeah. Um, and if it's not causing anybody in the house any bother, do I deal with it really proactively? Well, um, it really depends on a case-by-case basis. But fortunately, I've never had to evict anybody because of it um you know because of the level of tenant that we actually yeah yeah so let's talk about your tenant sort of processing then so um what procedures do you have in place to make sure you get the very best tenants well it starts when the phone rings in the office so when they first call up obviously we're checking the reason that they're moving have they ever had any rental year uh, arrears have they had any criminal convictions What's their salary? What's their job title? Um, any CCJs, adverse credit history? That all the questions before they even get booked in. Yeah. So, and then when they're booked in for the viewing, we're cross-checking that. So whoever does the viewing doesn't ask every single question, but ask a couple of them. So ask again, why are you moving? You know, what's it all except? And if they match, if their answers don't match what they said on the phone, then straight away we we we've got some warning bells ringing. Hmm. Um, if they do take obviously we take a holding deposit to reserve the room so that's a good sign that they're committed to it and then obviously we're checking that on our application form we're putting that into referencing we request copy so we we get their last three years address history and we're checking the land all references on those and once um homelet um have done the credit check we're also getting copies of their payslips make sure they're earning enough um, so yeah, that's, that's most of the process. Um, so Hassan, you're using homelets about 30 pounds. What'd you get yeah. for that? Uh, so for that, they obviously, um, call the, um, they get an employer's reference. Uh, if they're self-employed, we have to get copies of the tax return. Uh, we get copies of that as well. Um, there's the credit check and there's the landlord reference. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the question then, why don't you do that in house? Uh, well, it's it's quite a lot of work to do in house, but we have considered it. We have we have thought about it, and it's something that we might consider doing in the future. Hmm. Um, but I mean, it, you can get credit scoring now for like nine ninety nine plus VAT, yeah. so it's going to cost eleven quid for a full credit scoring report and an affordability check as well. Yeah, that's no, a very good point, Rick. I mean, it's something we might look into. I think where we were previously, we didn't really have enough staff, but now you know we do have four full time staff. I mean, there's one that's just starting that we're training up. Mm. Uh, maybe when when she's fully embedded in that's something we might look back into because the yeah. man, you know that is quite a saving the other element of this i know when you start your own business i certainly did all of my tenants had my mobile number and yeah. they and they used it you know they took every little advantage of that yeah. um i'm presuming i don't know but i'm presuming like you kind of moved away from that now but do tenants still call you directly they do sometimes. I, I am trying to get completely away from that. When, when I started, Rick, I used to create WhatsApp groups for each property. Okay. Massive mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm laughing there. As soon as you said WhatsApp, I'm like, whoa, you don't oh, want to do that. God, it, it just creates complaining culture. And it, yeah. they all feed off each other. And they're all like, oh, this is wrong. Or this is wrong. Or there's a tiny mark on my wall. I closed all those down and said, you have to report it through fixed flow. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I do a lot of um, keynote speaking around the country and I was at a, prop- a property, I wasn't, I was at an event yesterday and somebody said to me, you know, um, how many WhatsApp groups do you have now? I'm like, well, I don't have any. And they said, what do you mean you don't have any? So I've never had a WhatsApp group because I would be, I'd be drawn into it. I mean, I don't want to know what the tenants are doing and going out on Saturday night and getting locked out at three o'clock in the morning. And yeah. I've got no interest in that. No, we never do WhatsApp groups. If they want to set their own up, that's cool, but I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I would advise that. Do not set up WhatsApp groups. You <laughs> not do you ever, you know, you've got 300 rooms. Do you ever have the grass is greener syndrome? Do you ever look at thinking, you know what, I could do this myself. You know, I mean, I'm making 10%, 12% on the gross yeah. turnover when I could be making like all of it. Uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, I haven't been in a financial position, but now I, I do. I literally, the other day, I've got a mortgage in principle. I've got enough funds for a deposit. So I, I am looking right now. I put an offer in the other day for a property. Didn't get accepted, but I, I am looking to invest myself. I want to practice what I preach. Well, what about the rent-to-rent model, Hassan? So you could, you could do this because you're doing it now. I mean, it wouldn't yeah. be any different. It would just literally mean that you've got a contract with the owner that you give them guaranteed rent. I mean, yeah. is that something that perhaps you... Yeah. You, you I do. I, I do. I, I have a few of those rents. You do. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And is the way forward for you in your business? Are you going to continue with the agency and investing yourself, or yeah. you know, is yeah. it going to be, yeah. be a crossroads at some point? Yeah. No. I, I I want to continue building the agency. I want to franchise it. So I want to go into new areas. And we've got a quite unique model where we can support um, franchisees, and we do all the back office for them, so they can do what they're good at. Mm. providing landlords and doing viewings of tenants um so i i really believe in that because like we spoke we touched upon earlier there's 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 no agents there well there's not many agents that really specialize in hmo so yeah. i believe in really providing that service for landlords and really uh growing that franchise but also myself you know i want to i want to invest um you know get some of my own properties yeah and i suppose now you've got this scalable business and you could potentially sell your agency if you wanted to so you're building assets you know along that side of things as well or maybe even put a manager in and and, you know keep running the business um into your retirement which is awesome as well yeah that that is that is probably the goal to get a managing director to sort of you know when it's big enough to sort of manage uh, the business for me so you know we, we don't start a business to be you know working our socks off till we die yeah so, you know it's that was never the plan i'm willing to put the work in now um so hopefully we have an easier life in the future you know there's a lot of people out there that talk a lot about you know, passive income and things like that so you're an agent and people say to me well look i want a passive income from hmo so i'm going to give it to an agent is it passive hassan even if it's with an agent i mean it depends what limits the person sets so if we do have some investors that I've never even met. I've never met them. We, we've literally just taken on their properties. And they, they, say, they say, Hassan, you know, if, if the maintenance is, is below this amount, just crack on and do it. And we deal with everything. So they don't hear about anything. But they, they've literally said to us, I don't want to be involved. And we, we just deal with everything. You know, we, we might occasionally have to contact them and say, oh, uh, you know, the tenants requested something major. Hmm. Um, and contact them but um, I guess that's as close as to hands off as you can get but I mean other landlords if if they want to be involved then you know there is a lot of maintenance that goes on and we do have to get their approval for maintenance and deal with it so yeah. I, I would say no it's never totally passive but uh, I think if, if you know there is a good agent and they've got their systems and processes in place it can be close to it hmm. it can be leveraged but not totally passive yeah yeah 
So, um, you know, in terms of voids and what have you, now we are seeing loads of these high-end HMO properties coming out. You've seen them on Facebook and they look awesome. You know, they've got these community living rooms and, you know, very industrial type decoration and furniture, boutique style HMOs, you know, better than five-star living accommodation. Is that swinging the market at the moment? Do you think there's a shift? Do you think it's different than it was five years ago? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I've only been in the game for three and a half years, but I mean, from what I've seen in my in my experiences, that standards are improving so much and rents are going down as well. I mean, when I started, there was like really low quality rooms in my area that, that were sometimes going for like 500, 550. Now those same rooms are going for like 375. But do you think if those landlords brought those rooms up to spec, got rid of the magnolia, got rid of the wood chip, started to do, you know, what people are knocking out there now, they would maintain those rents? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. They're, 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 you know, people that are coming with the good quality properties, they're, they're definitely still hitting those rents, uh, high rents. I think there's a bit of a ceiling rent, you know, it's in our area, like in Medway, people are never going to pay more than 600. You know, they, they're never going to pay more than 600 for a room. So no matter how high end you went, you're not, you're kind of hitting a ceiling there, but you're going to, you're going to put yourself in a good stead for the future. Yeah. Uh, when there's more coming in. You've got a future proof, haven't you? And you know, the market is shifting. There is no doubt because people are expecting more. They are doing better standard rooms. You know, when we were doing this, you know, several years ago, um, we would fill a HMO with wood chip magnolia throughout the whole property, you know, all day long until the cows come home. They, um, you know, those properties now are, they're all under refurb. The whole of our portfolio is under refurb. And um, because we need to keep up with the Joneses, we need to keep up there, you know, to make sure we are future proofing our business and making sure that we're moving forward. So, so that's awesome. You know, Hassan, if someone that's listening now, they want to start an agency, um, you know, a couple of questions. Number one, how much money will they need to get going? And number two, what's the one tip that you can give them to say, look, just do this thing to get you started? Okay, so, I mean, how much money that you need is a very difficult question. It's probably, it depends on how quickly you want to get moving and, uh, you know, how much time that you have available. I, I think you're going to need at least 20,000. 20,000 to get it going? Yeah, probably. And what, what do you need that for, Hassan? That's going to be for all your marketing costs, all your um, investment. Like, so you've got to go on all, all the websites, like spare room costs quite a lot of money to get boosted to the top. You've got to um, invest in all the uh, website, your branding, your to let boards, uh, get all your contracts set up um, and living, you know, sort of your sustenance costs while you're, you're building it up. So um, it's, it's quite a lot that I'm not even thinking about your mm. phone bills, your rent. And um, that that's probably I probably put more money than into that personally, but I don't know whether that could vary from individual to individual. And uh, is it, is it something that someone can set up from the dining room table? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you need an office. I think an office is unnecessary because you just go meet clients at the property. You right. say, brilliant. I'll come meet you at the property. You know that, you know, they don't really ask if people do sometimes ask if you have an office and if they can tell you're a bit evergreen, you know, you're a bit green. Um, and uh, yeah, one tip to get started, 
I'm not sure what I'd want it would be. So if I was, if I'm like, you know, someone's listening to this podcast, it might be me, and I'm thinking, you know, I've always thought about starting an agency, um, don't really know what to do. So what is, what's the first step? You know, do I go out and search for franchises? Do I go out and go to an ARLA accreditation course and then start rolling from there? What do you think? Uh, I, I would say, like, obviously, franchise is a good option uh, if, if you've got a bit more funds to invest. Um, but if not, I would say just get a website, get, get a website up and just start start cold calling landlords and just start getting properties because it's like a chicken and an egg. It's like you, you can't get the tenants until you've got the property. So, like, you need to, you need to get the properties first, but you're not going to get the properties unless you've, you've got a, a website and a brand. So... Probably, yeah, going back on that, probably the first thing is to get your brand set up and get a profile online. Uh, start a blog. I think that's quite important and get, get yourself out online. Um, Can people start blogs maybe just on their own Facebook page? Would that work or do you think it's yeah. got to be separate? Uh, I think a separate one is better for SEO purposes. Um, but I, uh, one on a Facebook would perfectly start. But I'll, I'll probably go on Blogger. You can start one for free. That's how I started, completely for free. We, we've migrated it over to WordPress now. Hmm. So what's, what's Blogger for people that aren't sort of familiar with these terms? What, what, is that a website? Yeah, it, it, it's a, it used to be called Blogspot, I think. But then Google bought it and they rebranded it to Blogger. Hmm. And it's completely for free. Anyone can sign up. Um, it's so simple just to start a blog and I would say just just start writing a weekly blog about your town about your local property market what's going on in the area what developments are happening mm-hmm. uh, you know just talking about rental prices rental yields and um, putting that out once a week that's going to get your brand out there um, it's going to be a, it's, it's a slow burner it's going to take a bit of time to get to get yourself up in the SEO and but share that around everywhere. Go networking and, and get people on your blogging list. Yeah, some really great advice there because, you know, you do have to put yourself out there, don't you, Hassan? You can't just wait for people to come to you. When yeah. you started, you know, you had three months of doing, you know, almost waiting for people to come to you, cold calling, but you didn't have any content out there. So the more content you provide, then the more people will come to you. You know, this has been an awesome interview. I've had so much fun. I mean, I could ask loads more questions. We are now just almost into an hour. Um, You mentioned a book before. You mentioned The Um, E-Myth. I always ask our guests, you know, what book would you recommend um, for anything? You know, what's your all-time favorite read? My my all time favourite, Rick, and this is going to sound a bit strange. I, I've I've probably read this book over a hundred times. It's a very thin book, um, and the title is a bit misleading. It's called The Science of Getting Rich okay. by Wallace D. Wattles. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm going to look at it now for sure. It's a it's a tiny book. You can read it in an hour, uh, and although the, the title says The Science of Getting Rich, which sounds like it's all about making money, but this book is all a philosophy, and it's about how to live your life. It's about how to add more value than you take. It's about being grateful. Uh, it's, it's got a lot in that book. It was written in 1920. So some of the language is outdated, but it's an absolute, I, I love that book. And is that, on, is that available on Amazon? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's, it's a bit like, you know, Napoleon Hill and, uh, hmm. what's that one called? Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, it's a bit like that, but I would say this is a lot, lot simpler, a lot easier to follow. Have you ever listened to Think and Grow Rich on Audible? I have, yeah. 
it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. Once you get past the accent, I suppose it's okay, but I'd rather read it than listen to it. Yeah. Um, this has been an absolutely awesome interview. Um, yeah. If people want to contact you, so you specialize in HMO management, yeah. and if you can just confirm the areas that you specialize in, and if people want to reach you, how can yeah, they? Do so uh, we cover all of Kent and Southeast London. Um, if you want to reach me, I mean, you, you probably easiest to add me on Facebook is Hassan with one S, H-A-S-A-N-S-A-D-I-K. Um, but if you're not on Facebook, um, my email is Hassan at home-share.co.uk. So people can always email in if it's easier. Have you got a phone number? Have you got an office yeah. number? Yeah, my, my probably best take my mobile number is 07944-726-676. So feel free to give me a call. If I don't answer, leave me a voicemail and I will come back to you. Awesome. Hassan, you know, it's been great for you to share your journey. I've loved listening to it and it's inspiring. You know, I know where you started from because I started doing exactly the same thing from my dining room table in, uh, in my house, phoning people, phoning a, in fact, I was, you know, I kind of flipped it because I was phoning agents. So I was phoning people like you, um, whereas you were phoning landlords, you know, and going through the same thing. But it's about perseverance. It's about yeah. keeping pushing, pushing forwards. You've got a great business now. You're managing over 300 rooms. You've got four staff in the office. Yeah. You know, and you could have quite easily have just given up and then it would have been a very, very different story. So thank you so much for sharing your journey. And if anybody wants to contact Hassan, he's just given you his details there. And Hassan, I wish you all the best for the future. Yeah, thank you, Rick. It's really much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hassan. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. So that's it, folks, for today. And a great, inspiring interview there. And if you want to contact me for anything, then you can reach me at info at newerapropertysolutions.co.uk. You can also reach out to me on my Instagram, which is UK, or, of course, my Facebook group, which is the HMO and Property Community Group. See you on the next show, folks. Take care.